So glad to see everyone this morning. Hopefully everyone has felt what we felt today and the worship that has washed over us and just been a blessing to our souls. So thankful to those that serve in the music department. I'm not biased about that, but those that serve so wonderfully and sound so great and do so much. There's so many moving parts that have to come together in order for us to do what we call Act One on a Sunday morning. So all of the people that were involved in transitions and prayer, communion, uh, musicianship, and singing these songs of, of the kingdom, we're so happy that they were able to participate with us today. And most of all, we're thankful for all of you that are here with us today. Uh, I'm going to say something from the outset, and I remember when I was young coming up in ministry, we were taught to say this, and then we lied immediately. So I, I promise you I'm not lying. I will not be before you long today. <laughs> now see, this is what happens. We're just humans, so our egos start talking, and when people start shouting that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, well, I've got the mic. <laughs> no, bro, I got you, man. You got, you got, he's trying to get out. Well, there is definitely a word, a word from the Lord that I think will excite all of us, and hopefully it speaks to your heart the way that it spoke to mine. What's been happening is throughout the year 2022, we've been moving through the New Testament, uh, not just in the Sunday morning services, but hopefully you're being blessed by the podcast. I don't know about you, but just being able to drive down the street and download them and listen to them is a blessing to me. You'll hear a, a great amount of people from our fellowship and some outside of the fellowship that participate in those podcasts. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing to move throughout the New Testament. And it's a great guide because it has us at a space where we know that when this year is over, we will have went through the entire New Testament. Isn't that wonderful? Um, today we're landing, I'm actually landing where in a different spot than I thought I was. And it seems that every time that this happens that I'm scheduled to speak at one point and then I have to be pulled to another point. Uh, poor Andy is sick, but prayers for him. Uh, but I always get so excited when I'm given the other scripture. I don't know if that's the little kid in me that wants everybody else's toy, but this scripture hit me. And what we're dealing with is Acts chapter 7 through Acts chapter 11. And there's so much fruit of what happens in this scripture. First of all, the book of Acts is written by Luke. Uh, that's the theological history of that particular book. Luke was also responsible for one of the gospels. Luke was a physician. And so he's very meticulous in the way that he orders what he writes. And so it's great that he was the one that was given the responsibility for the book of Acts, the Acts, how the apostles act out in the kingdom. And just to give you a brief synopsis of what's going on in these chapters, and then we'll get into specifics. First of all, something very interesting happens at the beginning of the seventh chapter. Stephen, which is a deacon in the kingdom, he's been selected as a deacon in the church, he's giving a synopsis and a sermon, and this sermon struck me in a way that 
it's never struck me before when I begin to read it this week. And I'll read some of that in a moment. But he's basically giving a history of the children of Israel in their relationship with prophetic, there's a long word, prophetic words coming from a man of God who has been inspired to bring about a different kind of word in a different season, different time. He talks about how the children of Israel were in bondage. He talks about Moses' experience and how he found himself in the courts of Egypt and in the courts of Pharaoh. And he had an experience. I'm, I'm, if you come up to Christ's way on Tuesday, poor Delhi has to put up with uh, the Ten Commandments play. I play it every time I'm up here working. And those of you that haven't seen that movie with Charlton Heston, great film. I think it's the greatest movie ever made because it's made in 1956, but it, the graphics were unbelievable. The acting was top notch. And when you have Yule Brenner as Pharaoh, you can't do any better than that. And it's so dramatic. But there are some things that I believe because of the popularity of that film that are missing from the story of Moses. One thing that gets lost in translation is that Moses from a young man knew who he was. Stephen is preaching this dichotomy, this, this, this personality tension that Moses has where he's absolutely with the Egyptians, but he is also absolutely Hebrew. And there comes a time in his life, the Bible says it's about 40 years into his life, that he begins to hear the voice in his head telling him that his call is to unify people. Now check this out. This is before the burning bush. This is before he ever leaves Egypt. Unify the people. And when he goes out amongst his people, he sees one of his brethren being mistreated and he murders the man that is mistreating his brother. He ends up fleeing to the land of Midian. He ends up having two sons. He, <laughs> this is going to be fun. He meets his wife, Zipporah. <laughs> What's up, Zipporah? <laughs> Wave ahead. No, she's not my wife. That's just her name. Uh, get me in trouble here. He meets his wife. And then he has an encounter with God. The Bible says in Stephen's message that it's the angel of the Lord that Moses finds in a burning bush. And when he goes before the presence of this, angel, this angelic figure, he takes his shoes off. He unlaces them. He kneels down and he begins to worship. This is so essential to the transition that Moses is making as a person. Stephen is preaching this to men that are about to kill him in the book of Acts because they have an understanding of the law of God, but it has not pierced their hearts yet. They have an understanding of religious upbringing, but it hasn't pierced their heart yet. They have an understanding of how to wear the garb and look the part, check the boxes, but it hasn't pierced their heart. Stephen goes on to tell the story of Moses and as he continues through his sermon, he gets to the point that we're going to read in a moment. And it's very important that you understand 
so that this short sermon that I have today pierces your heart and gets all the way through. A couple of other things happen in this book. After the message of Stephen, the Bible says that the men take Stephen out of the city and they stone him to death. You know, my children, when they were young, they used to watch these videos uh, on YouTube called Dumb Ways to Die. And they had all of these different deaths. And first of all, it was morbid, and I had to stop them from watching it. But that's a question that's a conversation starter all the time. What would be the worst way to die? In this case, they would take someone to the outskirts of the city. They would throw stones at them until one of two things happened. Either A, they would get hit in the head hard enough that it would take their life. Or B, they would be smothered and not be able to breathe and die from this. I can't say the word. It ends in fixation. The beginning of it, I can't say. Stephen experienced this. While he's having this experience, an occurrence happens. The Bible says that as he's being stoned, he looks up into heaven. And he sees the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power of God. He has a vision and an experience. Catch this, people. And this is the first thing I want to say. Many of you will have experiences. You may have had an experience today during worship. It always begins and ends with that worship. Connection and seeing God. But you may be having an experience that was not intended to affect you personally. It's to prepare you to affect others. Because there's a gentleman that's at the stoning that the Bible says as they're stoning Stephen, all the men that are stoning Stephen begin to take off their robes and take off their, their princely garments or whatever they have that's a garment of wealth and they lay it at this man's feet. That man's name is Saul who ends up being the greatest preacher in the New Testament. He is there as an agitator against the message that Stephen is preaching. Yet Stephen's death and what he endured becomes a testimony to Saul's life. And God changes his name. Let's read a scripture so you understand that I am in the book. I want to read the New Living Translation now, what I have up here to satisfy one of my fathers, Dr. Comer, is the King James Version. <laughs> but what I have up is the New Living Translation. I want you to listen to this. This is part of Stephen's message, and it's something that I want to extract today. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. If you look ahead in the scripture, and you can keep that up, Jeremy, Saul later changes his name to Paul, and he makes the same claim that I've been taught in two worlds. I'm not only a Hebrew of, a, of Hebrews, but I'm also a Roman citizen. I'm educated. I sat at the feet of the high priest Gamaliel. I have all this knowledge. Check what Stephen says. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. 
I want to extract the importance of that because let me give you some fruit. When God calls you to do anything, whether it's to serve, whether it's to sing, whether it's to preach, whether it's to be in mission, no matter how eloquent or educated you are, that does not mean that you're prepared for the moment. The reason why I say that is because Stephen is saying that Moses was eloquent, but when Moses was bowed before the burning bush, he told God, I don't know how to talk. So how do you go from running a company or being eloquent at your job, even if you're a trash man? You know, those are everywhere, by the way. And I'm sure you're a good employer. But Joe, let me ask you something openly. Does it feel like when you get up here? It doesn't, does it? When you talk to your employees, it doesn't feel like when you're standing behind this podium. For one, I'm not sure your employees look at you the way these people are looking at me right now. <laughs> my greatest grace in God is suspending my own wisdom. The most I can expect from God is when I'm weak, when I say I'm not enough, when I say I'm incapable, because his message is not just a human message. It's not just something that you can get from your human understanding or intellect. You need God to anoint you through his spirit. And he gives it freely to those who will accept it. But there's something else I want to dig out of this. Very important. He was powerful in both speech and action. Next verse. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they did not. There's nothing worse than being called to your families and to your friends and having a message of deliverance for them. And it seems they don't recognize who you are or what you have. The most powerful thing that you have to combat this issue is your personal testimony. It's always stronger than your theology. It's always stronger than just sitting down and teaching a lesson in the Bible. When you can look people in the eye and say, this is what Christ did for me. It's the most powerful thing you can say to anyone. And you may not be eloquent. You may not have the words. You may not know what to say. You may not even know how to fit into the group that you're preaching to but everyone needs your testimony. Today's sermon is, taught, is called The Church in the Wilderness. I want to get to this scripture. Let's read through it. The next day he visited them again, saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Some of your biggest fear in what God is making you is how will people reconcile who you have been in the past? And we don't feel emboldened 
because we're afraid, my friends, that when people see us, they see our mess. What's interesting about that is this is what they need to see. They need to see how messed up we can be. They need to see that there were days where we operated in shame and guilt, and now Jesus has taken our shame and our guilt away from us. Am I in the right church? I'm going to lift my hands till I can reach heaven. I'm going to shout for joy till the walls come falling down. I come to worship. Why? Every time I think about the fact that he called me despite myself, and the place that he set me in to be a living epistle, that's what the Bible calls it, a living, walking book. It's wonderful to refer to the book of Acts, but you have to be willing to tell them what happened in the book of Comer. Chapter number three, when you were a wretch undone and Jesus saved you. But it goes further than that. There will be times, my friends, where in this walk you feel incapable. And Jesus says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, that's the message for a church in the wilderness. Let's get to what is, where this comes from. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? I think that's hilarious. I don't know about you, but I've ran into my past a couple of times. There was a friend of mine, I don't know if you guys know, he is actually a world-famous gospel singer by the name of Marvin Sapp. And he sung a song, Never Could Have Made It Without You, Never Could Have, and it went worldwide. His wife, it went worldwide. His wife, who passed away of cancer, he wasn't even going to put this song on his album. He was thinking legalistic, and let's, let's sing a gospel song that's theological and that people can sing in church, and his wife said no. Before she passed away from cancer, she said, you must sing this song. It ended up his biggest song. But he said that he went back to his home church in Michigan. And when he was at his home church, he used to shoot dice on the back step during service. Now, for some of us that grew up in church, you guys might think that's some horrible thing, but when the preacher is 85 years old, sometimes he used to preach and get lost in a sermon, and I'd be on the organ about to fall off. So I found ways, and we didn't have cell phones to sneak on. So we found ways to entertain ourselves at church. Well, Marvin and his friends shot dice. Backstep. He went to his home church, and he's, he gets up, and he's singing, and he's a pastor, and he has a huge church in, in Detroit. And after the service, one of the mothers of the church, who is old now, comes up to him, and they say, Marvin, do you remember when you used to shoot dice on the back stairs? And much to her chagrin, Marvin said, no. I don't remember. And then a couple of people said, you do remember that you used to come here and you were a drug dealer and you were selling to some of the people that we were trying to let to deliver? He said, 
No, I don't remember. Because he made a choice in his life that he was not going to see himself with the lens of other people. He was going to see himself as the minister. Now, in his heart, he doesn't have to look away from who he is. One of the greatest struggles I have, I don't know about you, is the fact that Jesus says, Arnick, don't take your eyes off of what you were. Because I was taught coming up in the church that I had to distance myself from who I had been. But I found that in this time, it's impossible to be effective and do that. You have to embrace it so that the people around you, no matter how they come to church, no matter what they experienced on Saturday night, we don't want them to be ashamed. As a matter of fact, it's their shame and their weakness that stands as a wall between them and Jesus Christ. What we've got to give people in the church, what I call the church in the wilderness, is different than what you get in the tabernacle and the temple. Jesus' ministry is not one like Solomon's or David's. It's not like the prophet Eli or the prophet Samuel. It's not even like Moses's. It is a ministry to all. Amen, brother? Somebody going to say it. I want to get to this verse, and I'm coming very close to my close. Jeremy, go to verse 37, Acts chapter 7. The, new, the King James Version says this. It says, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall, shall ye hear. And then the, the King James says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. That struck me. The church in the wilderness. With the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai. And with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. I want you to understand why I chose the church in the wilderness. Moses' entire call was to a place with the children of Israel that would be unlike anything they had experienced in the past. When they were in bondage, they still had order. Check this out. There was a city called Goshen where the Hebrews lived even when they were under the enslavement of the Egyptians. And in that place, they still practiced what their laws were to that point. It's after they exit Egypt that they find that God writes a law in an attempt to write it on their hearts. It begins with the Ten Commandments. And then God inspires Moses to write the book of Leviticus. And there's all of these over 400 Levitical laws. I broke some this week. I ate some lobster, I'm sorry. And I must say it was delicious. But all these laws are an attempt to live something outside, hoping that it will eventually express something inside. Sadly, when we try to keep the church that church, it's ineffective. Because there's nothing that I can do in myself and on the outside of God's spirit 
that will ever make me one of his. What I need is something that can be on the inside of me. There's a song that we used to sing in the old church, something on the inside, working on the outside. I can't do this work myself. But there was a group of people called the children of Israel that began to believe in their own righteousness. And they would shame others that didn't follow the law. So God placed them in the wilderness to find out what it is to have the heart of God. And I believe with my whole heart that the reason why Stephen is preaching about Moses is he's the preface He's the preface to the church that is to come. See, up until this time in the book of Acts, most of the ministry that had been taking place was to the Jews. The day of Pentecost, to the Jews. The Bible says that they were in the upper room, but if you read further in Scripture, most of their ministry was taking place still in the temple. And there was an entire group of people that were being isolated from Jesus' message. But Stephen then preaches that there is a people arising whose ministry is in the wilderness like Moses' is. I want to tell everybody in here that finds themselves to be a, mission, a missions person or a servant in the house of God. Your ministry is not to places where people have already perfected. Your ministry is to the wilderness the places that are dry, the places where people think their lives are over, the places that feel dead, that's what he's calling us to. So that there isn't a pre-qualification. I've got I've to expose myself. This is hilarious. I don't know if everybody else has danced this dance like me, but when I was young, I immediately left home and I was kind of irresponsible with money. I was a musician, what some would say a super duper musician, and I made a lot of money doing it, and I blew it. I blew through it. 18 years old, living in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 1600 Swart Court. I'm 18 and I'm living in a five bedroom home driving a new car, blowing through money. By the way, just in case you're wondering, I wish I had some of that money now. It would be. I could get a couple of more lobsters, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> my wife would steal it first. I'm experiencing this life and I begin to get letters at my home. Arnick, you have been pre-qualified. It's one of the worst things that you can see. Because the presumption is, A, that they're telling the truth. B, is that they've seriously looked into more than just your income, and this is financially okay for you to do. I was 18, guys. So I started getting those credit cards. And I found out I wasn't pre-qualified, I was just pre-approved. And I remember as my credit score continued to plummet because of all these cards, I started getting the same pre-qualification letters. 
See, someone was trying to show me that ahead of time, they had an offer on the table for me that I had met pre-qualifications for. When in truth, not only had I not met the pre-qualifications, but I had to deal with the social anxiety, the angst and the shame when I would call those banks and try to get the card and I didn't qualify. What are you saying, Shouse? We have to stop making people pre-qualify for Jesus. Something bad to making people good enough to deserve Jesus Christ. As I close, let me just tell you what happens next. Stephen gets stoned. Church in the wilderness, right? Stephen gets stoned. In the next chapter, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, there are three stories. It's the story of an Ethiopian eunuch who did not even meet the requirements of the law to be able to enter the temple. If he's a eunuch, he has been rendered a eunuch. I don't want to go further than that. Look it up. He is an absolute eunuch. And in the Levitical law, someone that is, I think the scripture said, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his private member cut off cannot enter the house of God. That's an actual scripture. He did not qualify for church. But he was driven to the wilderness. And there was a minister by the name of Philip that followed him and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And the Bible says that water appeared in the middle of the desert. When Jesus is on your track, I don't care where you come from, I don't care what nationality you are or what lifestyle you're around, if Jesus is on your track, you don't have to be pre-qualified. I really wish I could preach this like I want to. That's why it's so important to remember your story. It's so important for us to bear each other's burdens, seeing what we were. Another story happens, the same man that showed up to the stoning of Stephen is driving down the road on his horse, on the way to persecute people. Certainly he's unworthy of Christ, but he drives through the wilderness. Are y'all catching it yet? And in the wilderness, a voice from heaven, a light from heaven shines on him. And he is blinded so that he can see. He makes his way to a man named Ananias and he's baptized and he becomes the greatest minister in the Bible. There's a man by the name of Cornelius who is a Gentile and the ministry of the apostles has not reached him yet, but he hears a calling in his heart. And what happens? Before he can be ministered to, God brings a deep sleep over Peter. And Peter sees all kinds of beasts and all kinds of fowl. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, rise up, slay and eat. And Peter says, Man, he's got to be kind of courageous to talk back to God. But he says, I've never eaten any unclean thing in my life. 
And the Holy Spirit says to him, don't you dare call what I have said is clean, unclean. We have to put aside our ideologies. We have to put aside our thoughts and our personal feelings because all of us are just sinners that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. We have to put aside what we think and what we see, what we can taste and what our senses tell us. I stand behind my pastor, Andy, when he says this, and I say it boldly. I found out in church that I'm very prejudiced. I, like Jonah, think that I can decide who this gospel goes to. But Jesus said, whosoever will, let them come. That's not a ministry in the temple, my friends. That's not a ministry that can be held in a tabernacle. We are called to preach in the wilderness. We are the manna for the starving. We are the cloud for those being beat down by the sun. We are the stars in the sky for those that can't see in the night that they are in. We're called to preach as the church in the wilderness. As the praise and worship comes back to Alicia, I'm going to ask you and everyone to come back. I want to speak to everyone if you do not know the Lord. I've checked into a lot of religions, Marilyn. I really have. Studied a lot of them. This, what we offer to you today, is the only one where the offer is the worse you are, <laughs> the greater the opportunity. This is the only one that says you can't earn this. It is freely given to you. This is the only one that says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them white as snow. When you leave here today, if you do not know Christ, just know this, that he has taken his church into the wilderness for you so that where you are, he can find you there. That's who he is. That's the beauty of knowing Christ. Beloved, this is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We're now the sons of God. And it doesn't appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears to us, we can and will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Let's pray. What I pray over this place is that in Revelation, just like Stephen did, that when you close your eyes and pray to God, whatever your belief is, or whatever you've seen in the past, or whatever your understanding has been, that when you close your eyes, you look up and you see the Father waiting for you. And you see that freedom for your life. God, we pray over these people. We pray that this word goes out and doesn't return void. Lord, this is your church. We don't have a right to author who is going to be reached. But we speak freely over every soul in this place. Let them feel your great salvation and your great grace that extends to the criminal. It extends to every lifestyle. 
It extends. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. Thank you for your blood. Let everyone feel your freedom in this place. And we give you thanksgiving for loving us so much that you made a way for us in the middle of our wilderness. We thank you for that, Lord. I want us to sing this together so that every soul in this place can feel this. If you put that up, Thank you. 